0: Counterculture Parents. I'm your host, Kurt Bruner, and thank you for listening to this, our very first episode. This podcast exists to help parents who are trying to raise children who are disciples of Christ rather than products of the culture. Kids who stand out rather than just fit in. This podcast is for your family if you're among those who feel sometimes isolated, sometimes alone or odd or out of step. Your kids feel that way because of the choices you're making as a family. Not because you're weird, not because you're different, not because you're uneducated, but simply because you're trying to raise disciples of Christ in a world that just seems to be increasingly antagonistic to Christian beliefs and values. And you try to do so with joy, with with uh, optimism, with, with a positive sense of loving Christ and following him. Uh, not because you're trying to protect your kids, or shield your kids, or 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 make them feel different in any way, but, but just the fact that the culture is becoming more and more hostile. Uh, you're feeling that way on a daily basis. And So we're here to encourage you, to inspire you, and to equip you, and to share thoughts from other families who are making similar choices so that you feel less and less isolated, less and less alone. My wife Olivia and I have four adult children. Um, In fact, we have grandchildren, but we also have still young children in our home because later in life we brought in some children through foster care and uh, we adopted them. And so we have the joy of, once again, being in those years of raising children. I've also had the chance to serve in the context of a local church as pastor of spiritual formation and particularly to help families nurture the faith of their children in the context of the home. And I've observed that one of two things is happening among Christian families today. Either they're feeling a growing sense of antagonism, this growing sense of the culture is less and less aligned to and in fact seems more and more hostile to the things that I believe and the things that I'm trying to teach my children. And it's getting more difficult. So they're either feeling that sense of antagonism or families are being assimilated into the ways of thinking and the ways of living that run counter to Christian discipleship. So again, this podcast seeks to make you feel less isolated, less alone, by connecting you to other like-minded parents who are making similar choices. And some of those choices will have greater impact than others. One of those choices, for example, is that we as parents steer rather than outsource our child's spiritual and academic formation. We get help. We get help from the church. We get help from a school. We get help from others. But we don't outsource that. We steer it. Another is we guide our children's media habits, and that's becoming increasingly important as media is in the pocket of every young person in our generation. And it's very important that we nurture a sense of sexual wholeness in our children as there are so many things coming at them that are confusing their sense of identity as male or female. In all these areas and more, you and I, we are the coaches. We're not the spectators. We're the coaches. And I think you'll discover that you can find great joy in the process of being counterculture parents. So how are we going to do that? On this podcast, you can expect a variety of experiences. Sometimes I'll share inspiring talks that have come from a variety of parents and from a variety of thought leaders who can help us put in perspective what we're facing and the choices that we need to make. Sometimes you'll be hearing interviews from other families that are just like you, but who are making courageous choices. And what kind of practical tools have they found that help turn theory into everyday practice in the home. And I also think we'll have some fun along the way because this isn't one of the great burdens of our lives. This is one of the great privileges, one of the great honors, and one of the great joys of life. We get to nurture the faith and beliefs of our children. So let's get started. I am so excited about what we get to hear on today's episode. A couple of decades ago, when my oldest boys, who are now actually fathers themselves, were just boys, five and three years old, I had the opportunity to meet and spend time with a guy named Jim Weidman. And uh, Jim was working for IBM at the time. He was a dad who had four kids of his own. And... We were on a business trip together, and he began talking about this thing he was doing with his own kids called Family Nights. And I had never heard of this before, but he was so excited, and he got me excited. And and as a result, I began doing these things in my family, and it really became a key instrument for intentionally shaping the faith of my own kids in the context of the home. So I'm forever grateful to Jim for the influence he had in my life. Many of the ideas that he was sharing... And then a network of dads began sharing with one another, uh, got published in in a series of books called the Family Night Tool Chest series. So you may want to look for that and check it out if you're interested in starting this pattern in your home. Now what we're going to hear are highlights from a much longer talk that Jim gave to a group of men, a gathering of men. It's been a couple of decades ago that he gave this talk, but it's still so relevant today. And uh, it's an example of ordinary families making courageous choices in order to instill the faith in their kids in the midst of a culture that uh, is going the other direction. So I hope you'll find it encouraging and inspirational as you listen to Jim Weidman talking about family.
1: I stand before you in the midst of... uh... The turmoil in the world today trying to raise a Christian family as many of you do. I have four children, Joshua who is uh, 13, I have Jacob who is 10, I have Janae who is 8, and Joy who is 5, just turning 5. I'm very much uh, uh, concerned for the hearts of these children as they relate to uh, uh, to God. For you see the environment has changed dramatically since we were being raised. In 1965, families spent 40% more time together than they do now. A child in one year will spend as much time in front of the TV as they do in school, which individually is more time than he spends with you or I. You know, there was a survey taken, and they went to six-year-olds, and they asked them, if you had an opportunity to spend time with your father or the TV, what would you choose? And they said, we'd choose the TV. As you know, I'm a graduate of the uh, Air Force Academy, as they stated, and I see there's a, a couple of cadets in the audience. I uh, graduated in 1978, I was co-captain of the football team. And uh, I made the varsity when I was a sophomore, and that was back in 1976. In 1976, we had one of the toughest schedules in the nation, bar none. We started at Arkansas, and that was the team that won the Cotton Bowl. We played Iowa. We played California when they had Chuck uh, Chuck Muncie. We played UCLA. That was the year they won the Rose Bowl. And we played Notre Dame. I was a starting strong side tackle. 225 pounds, less than I stand before you today. Uh, I didn't get much sleep that night. I read in the scouting report that uh, the guy I was going against was 6'8 and he weighed 280. And uh, came to game time, we lost the toss. Notre Dame got the ball and they started moving it down the field. We intercepted the ball and we ran it down to the five yard line. We got ta- we got caught from behind. Uh, the offense we go running on the field. And I'm bumbling my helmet. I haven't yet had my first hit, and I get into the I get into the huddle just in time to uh, fasten my chin strap. And the quarterback calls 46 boom I formation on two. I said, Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. 46 boom is over me. I said, The guy I'm playing against is a fold out in Sports Illustrated because I can't get him on one page. I said. I think we want to go 45 boom and they said no no, 46 boom on two, ready, break. So we come up to the line, we we're trying to be like the Dallas Cowboys and the quarterback goes down. So he goes down and we stood up and I looked into the man behind the golden helmet. I do not remember a chin strap, gentlemen. His face protruded from the side of his helmet. Next thing I hear is down. I get down into my position and uh, he got down in his and the sun went away. I hear 2.45 and I yell, uh, help, which brought my tight end down and we were going to double team the mountain. Next thing I hear is 2.45, off, which means the defensive end came head up on my tight end. I was one on one with the mountain. We, uh, he said, hut one, hut two, hike, I closed my eyes. I tackled the man. As an offensive tackle, I tackled the man. We scored. I did not get caught for holding. Football's an art, gentlemen. It's not a science. It's an art. But I also got dinged. I also got dinged, and I got dinged rather bad. I made it back to the huddle. I'm surprised I found the right huddle. I get into the huddle, and I said, said, hey, I need some help. I said, I have this excruciating pain where my nose used to be. I can only see out of one eye, and I got tunnel vision in that one eye. They said, Jim, let me help you. Let's turn your helmet around. You're looking out the ear hole. It was at that point in time that I realized the level of competition had changed. It had changed dramatically. The level of competition for our children's minds has changed dramatically. So, what's my situation? Why am I standing here before you? First of all, I found myself that I was overcommitted. I was out of balance. I was involved in a lot of activities outside the home. I was working long hours. I was involved in the church, spending a lot of time in the church. I was leaving my kids who did not know Jesus Christ as the Lord and personal Savior with a babysitter. Well, I went to a Bible study. I was out of balance. I had no real family time. I was doing catch-as-catch-can. I'd come home, make sure I was home for dinner, make sure I didn't travel too much. Uh, I tried to put the kids to bed, tried to say their prayers. but. One of my biggest fears is that Dr. Dobson would show up at my door when I was at work, he'd strap a tape recorder to one of my kids and I'd fall victim to a statistic that says I spend less than 30 seconds quality time with my children a day. I was uh, <clears throat> sending my kids to Christian schools, I made sure they went to Sunday school, but I didn't know what they understood, what they were taking in, what was being taught, or what they could apply. Now I'm gonna get humbled here, I know there's some pilots in the audience. Uh, in 19, when I was 28 years old, I was a captain of a C-130. I had drop experience, uh, combat crew, and I was stationed in Abilene, Texas. And the military came along, uh, the Army requested that we do an airdrop out of Yuma, Arizona. Out of Yuma, Arizona. And so I, uh, uh, I got the tasking in, out of Abilene, Texas. And if you back it up, they t- dictate the uh, pickup time because they're paying the bill. So we need to pick them up at 6 a.m. in the morning. Well, if you back up the flying time, you back up the airf- airplane prep time, and then you put me in crew rest. I was in crew rest at 11 a.m. in the morning the day before. I had a six-month-old son. I think I fell asleep at 10.30 p.m. I got the call at 11 p.m., said, get wide when your plane is ready. So I went out and I uh, got my crew together. We uh, kicked the tires, lit the fires, and we took off. I was somewhere over New Mexico somewhere over New Mexico and uh, I was extremely tired and I I turned to my copilot and I said listen the planes on autopilot I said I'm really tired the Air Force coffee won't even keep me awake I said "Uh, you have the airplane I kicked my seat back took my headset off and I went to sleep the props of a C-130 are absolutely outstanding I wish I would have recorded them it's better than Somonex but the turboprop also when you hit an air pocket it sounded like you had an engine problem. And so we hit an air pocket, so I quick woke up, I lock into my engine instruments, and my engine instruments are fine. Well then I looked at my co-pilot, and my co-pilot was sound asleep. I looked at my engineer, now the engineer monitors the overhead panel, and he controls the fuel to make sure all four of my engines have fuel, and he monitors my electrical uh, components for my safety lights, my warning lights. He was on the crew bunk, sound asleep. I had a navigator who backs us up and he actually has a desk in the cockpit with all this instrumentation to make sure that I stay on track. He had his head down in his hands like a schoolboy, sound asleep. I then looked at my radio indicators and they were spinning. We had broke lock from the station. I picked up my headset and all I heard was static. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know where I was. I turned responsibility of the aircraft over to the crew and I went to sleep. I turned responsibility of Christian development over to my uh, for my children, over to the Sunday school teachers, over to the Christian schools, and I didn't know where they were. I didn't know where they were. I was letting the tyranny of the urgent take the place of the important. I was letting the everydayness of life distract me from what was important at a given time in the season of my life, which is to raise my children. Proverbs twenty two six: Train up a child in the way he will go, and he will not depart from it. Train implies instruction and discipline. The responsibility is ours. It's not the Sunday schools. It's not the Christian schools. It's our responsibility to teach our children about the Lord Jesus Christ. Which brings me to family night. I believe that this is a technique that allows us to be the spiritual leaders in our home. It addresses the command of God to talk, to teach, and to train. Family night is a structured Bible study and has a format. Let me give you an example. We pick a night that we have family night in my house and it's once a week. And what we do is we we have pizza. I don't want my wife, Janet, to uh, do any cooking. And so we have pizza and uh, we have a theme song and all the kids come around. Let me give you an example. I wanna teach my kids about persecution. And I got this idea from our men's group because we meet once a month and we share ideas. And so what I did is I took my kids and we went down into the crawl space in my basement into the dirt. And for those of you who are pilots, I flew in Turkey and I bought one of those shepherd's lamps. And so I had a shepherd's lamp and a candlelight. We went down there and we defined what uh, persecution was. And I taught them the concept that says when you're faced with persecution, peg the opposition. Peg, pray for them. What did Jesus do when he was on the cross? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do the second point we wanted to make was endure the persecution jesus could have called down legions of angels and he didn't why not he won them through love not retaliation the last part i wanted to teach him was a concept that says be glad through the persecution for your reward which is in heaven now how do you teach that concept well we crawled out of that crawled out of the dirt we went upstairs and i took this bucket it was a foot and a half by a foot by about six inches i filled it with ice snow and water i had the kids sitting on a bench and I put it down in front of their feet and I had my daughters go first and in the bottom I put marbles and I said "Uh, guys I will pay you fifty cents for every marble you can pull out of there with your toes my daughter says okay she puts her foot in there she pulls out one marble and goes to tears says dad I'm I'm out of the game okay my uh... my five-year-old comes up she sticks her toe in the snow and says daddy I'm not playing I said okay sweetheart joshua says 50 cents a marble he says what's the limit i said i'll give you five minutes he says start the clock josh dives in and he pulls out 14 marbles in five minutes his foot is a brilliant blue jacob then looks at josh and says dad that's seven bucks i said that's right he goes start the clock jake dives in and in uh, four minutes pulls out 14 marbles and quits my daughter, who's third in line, says, "I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna let this happen, Dad. I want another shot." She pulls out another eleven. All the kids are sitting on the couch and they're and they're holding their feet. They're just holding their feet. And I said, uh, "I said, if i had a social worker looking in, I might be in trouble." But, um, I said, "Why'd you guys do that? Why'd you guys do that?" I said, "I I didn't make you do that." Well, I we wanted the money. I said, "Isn't that interesting?" you look through the pain of the ice and the snow to get to the reward which is the money joshua's eyes get about this big and he says dad i understand i understand but through the pain of persecution the reward which is yours in heaven dad i understand it's incredible it's incredible the object lessons drive retention drive retention but that's what a family night is it can be that complex or it can be as easy as taking your kids and putting them in a car you play your family theme song and he said dad where are we going Oh, you'll see, you'll like it though, I promise. It'll be good, and they'll start guessing. Oh, we're going to Dairy Queen, oh, we're going here. Dad, where are we going? Oh, you'll see, you'll see. Then you start talking to them, what do you think Moses and the people felt when they were promised the Promised Land? They hadn't seen and didn't know where they were going. How do you think they felt? And then you show up at Dairy Queen and get something to eat, you make the point. So it can be as intense as the uh, persecution or it can be as easy as, as just to drive to Dairy Queen. But family night creates the formal, and it sets up the informal. You know, I wanted to teach my kids the opportunity, uh, I mean, uh, about worry. My kids were real young, and they were worrying about everything. So I taught them on, on family night, don't worry, pray and be happy. Well, on Saturday, we went out, and what we, uh, I dropped my daughter off at a birthday party, and I was going to the hardware store with Josh and Jake. So we show up at the hardware store, I reached down, and I dropped my checkbook. I lost my checkbook. I go, shoot. Let's get back in the car. Guys, let's go. we got to go home. I don't have my checkbook. And Joshua pops up. He says, Dad, let's pray about it. I said, Joshua, that's great. Why don't, why don't you go ahead and lead us in prayer? Joshua leads us in this incredible prayer, right, to help us find our checkbook. At the end of the prayer, we launch into this discussion that says, you know, God can answer a prayer one of three ways. He can say no, and we'll never find it. That's okay. We can cancel our checks. He can say no, not right now, or he can say Yes so let's go see if we can find it maybe he'll say yes so we went looking for it and we didn't find it two weeks later in the mail my checkbook shows up i call my kids around i say hey guys god answered our prayer he said no not right now and here's the checkbook i cannot tell you how many times we launch into discussions that are based on some family night that we taught years ago i've been at this for almost four years and i'll tell you that i am not Short on subjects, on backlog. And my kids, they keep getting tougher and tougher. Uh, Creates the formal and sets up the informal. I want to take you to Psalm 78. Listen to what it says. I'm going to start at three. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done he decreed statues for Jacob and established the law in Israel which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children so the next generation would know them even the children yet to be born and they in turn would tell their children then they would put their trust in God and would not forget these deeds but would keep his commands I don't know if you follow that gentlemen that's four generations you want to talk about impact four generations you can impact through your children. You talk about the power of a legacy. This gives me the power. My kids come up to me and my son Jacob asked me the question, Dan, how do I know I have Jesus in my heart when I don't feel like it? My eight-year-old says, Dad, what's it mean to have Jesus in your heart? Joshua asked me, Dad, how do I know God exists? How do you start? Pick and schedule a night each week. Gentlemen, there's a business concept that says, if it is important to you, you will schedule it. Four generations I work for IBM I could sell a computer and it's outdated in years <laughs> today months, right accountability and once you start this I'm only gonna give you three lessons because after the third lesson your kids are gonna hold you accountable because they want family night there's something about you and the child and the child wanting your undivided attention it's a fun family time you ever take your hand the uh, one of your children, you reach between their legs and you flip them and they go, again daddy, again daddy, and you flip them. And they continue to say, Dad, let's do it again. The kid's eyes are going back and forth, can't stand up, your back hurts, arm hurts. But the kid wants to do it again. And the reason that they want to do it again, is because of the fact that they're having fun with you. If they're having fun with the family, then they want to be with the family. If they're having fun with the family and you're teaching them God's Word, they want to learn more. And you begin to drive the thirst. You begin to drive the thirst.
0: As I shared earlier, the ideas you just heard and many, many other ideas are available in a book series called the Family Night Tool Chest series. I hope this presentation has encouraged you, as it did me at a crucial point in my parenting journey, as you make that courageous choice of intentionally shaping the faith of your children. Don't outsource it. Get support from the church, get support from whatever other context you can. But it's our job as parents to instill the faith in the next generation and to do it in a way that is engaging. And as Jim just shared, it can be really, really fun. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. This podcast was brought to you in part by DriveFaithHome.com. We help local churches reach and disciple busy families. We'd love to help you if you're interested. Again, DriveFaithHome.com. If you'd like to support our work, then give to your local church because that is your most important reinforcing community.